thankful for the opportunity. Uh, Nick asked me several weeks ago that uh, if I would fill in for him while he was out in Nigeria, and I'm just very, very thankful for the opportunity to stand before you all. It is such a uh, honor. I uh, love this church. I love the people of this church. So it is very humbling that I have this great opportunity to bring the Word of God to you this day. And as Pastor Russ said, we need to be in much prayer for our brothers who are out in the field, uh, in a dangerous field, uh, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may I say also that this is a much different audience than what I am used to. Uh, I have the great privilege of serving the Lord on Tuesday nights at Coastal State Prison. And may I say that uh, in, in the, uh, behind the wire, as we say, uh, all you see is white and orange and sometimes a lot of sad faces. So it is a pleasant, pleasant surprise to stand before you to see these wonderful colors and these wonderful smiley faces. Our text this morning we will be uh, preaching from is found in the Gospel of John. So I invite you to turn your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, or other electronic devices to the Gospel of John, Chapter 8. The Gospel of John, Chapter 8, and we'll be focusing on verses 31 through 36. And we will focus on the freedom aspect of our text. The key words for our worshipers in training are belief, truth, and freedom. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this point in our service, our worship to you, Lord, we pray that you would open our our eyes to see, our ears to hear, in our hearts to understand, Father, your word. May by the power of your spirit, may your word go forth in truth. And Father, may you be glorified in what is said this day. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I begin this morning by asking you all a simple question. Do you consider yourselves to be free? You say, of course I'm free. I live in America. This is the home of the brave and the land of the free. I can come and go as I please. I can do as I please. I have no restrictions. Of course I'm free. It is true that you live in America and that this is the home of the brave and the land of the free. Yes, you may be able to come and go as you please. Yes, you can do as you wish. Yes, you may have no restrictions. But I ask, are you really free indeed? There are many ways that freedom may be defined, but I have narrowed it down to basically two phrases. To be free means that we have no restrictions, and to be free means that we have no regrets. No no restrictions and no regrets. 
To help us to understand this a little better, I read to you an illustration from John Piper. Piper has put it this way. You are fully free, completely free, free indeed when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will make you happy in a thousand years. Or we could say you are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. He explains further. You don't have, if you don't have the desire to do a thing, you are not fully free to do it. Oh, you may muster the willpower to do what you don't want to do, but nobody calls that full freedom. It is not the way we want to live. There is a constraint and a pressure on us that we don't want. And if you have the desire to do something, but no ability to do it, you are not free to do it. And if you have the desire and the ability to do something, but no opportunity to do it, you are not free to do it. We can see then our, that our desires, our abilities, and the, abil- uh, and the opportunity to do something uh, has restrictions. It may bring restrictions upon us. And that way we are not totally free. And if it destroys you in the end, you are not fully free, free indeed. So if we have the desire to do something, the ability to do it, and the opportunity to do it, but it destroys you in the end, you are not fully free, not free indeed. To be fully free, we must have the desire, the ability, the opportunity to do what will make us happy forever. No regrets. And the only... And only Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose again for us, can make that possible. I believe that the only way to be truly free, I mean free indeed, is is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our only source of freedom and to be completely satisfied in the freedom that Jesus grants to us. To be free indeed, we will go to no other And we will be satisfied in no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. May I say to you that this morning that in a gathering of this size, there may be some of you here today that need to be freed. You need to be set free from the bondage of sin, the burden of self, and the power of Satan. And only Jesus Christ can do that for you. Does the Son of God want you to be free? Of course He does. That was his heart. That was the heart of his ministry. And we see it all throughout the Gospels. In the beginning of his ministry, we read in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then at the end of his earthly ministry, we read in Luke chapter 4, as in verses 18 and 19, as he is hanging on that brutal cross, bearing the weight of my sin and your sin and the sin of every sinner and, uh, and taking upon himself the wrath of God that I deserve and that you deserved, What do we see Jesus doing? He is setting the captives free. Luke writes, When they came to the place called the skull, 
There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. One of the criminals were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Do you see it? Do you see the heart of the, of the, of his ministry? Do you see the mission of the savior? He is spilling his precious blood, pouring out his sovereign grace for this criminal. He, Jesus is willingly taking upon himself the wrath of God that this criminal so justly deserved. And he is covering this thief in his righteousness, granting the gift of faith so that the dying thief cries out with a repentant heart, remember me, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will drink living water and thirst no more. Today you will taste the bread of life and hunger no more. Today you will be set free. The Son will set you free. May I say to you that that man, although he was nailed to a cross, had never experienced a time in all of his life that he was more free than then on that day. He had been set free, freed from the bondage of sin, freed from the power of Satan. He was freed from the guilt and the shame of a jaded past. He was free indeed. My friends, Jesus wants to make you free. He wants to make you free indeed. That is his ministry. That is his mission. We see it all throughout the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? He is setting the captives free. And we see it also here in the 8th chapter of John, and that is where I would like for us to focus our attention. Primarily, we will set our focus upon verses 31 through 36. And I would like for us to see three aspects of this freedom that Jesus Christ grants to us so that we too may be free indeed. Now, let's look at a little bit of the historical background uh, of, of what's going on. Coming to verse 31, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders. Jesus is towards the end of his ministry here on earth. Uh, it is only a matter of several months, and he will be crucified. He has, he has presented his claims. He has declared who he is. He has done his miracles. He has taught his teachings. He has, and, and, and they have concluded that he is not who he claimed to be. He is not their Messiah. They have been angered and annoyed by his words and his works. They have mocked him and despised him. They, 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 they are plotting to murder him. But he continues to confront them. And he continues to give them his claims. And they continue to mock. And they continue to misunderstand. But in the midst of all the mockery and misunderstanding and all the rejection and all the plotting to murder him, there were some people who began to respond by believing. And we see them there in verse 30. Notice verse 30. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. 
And then we see in verse 31 that Jesus sets his focus upon those who had believed him. He is taking those who had come to faith uh, in him aside, away from the crowd, and is now going to give them special attention, special instructions on what it means to be free. Just imagine what it must have been like on that day, knowing what we know today. That, that, the, that, that you are in the very presence of the Son of God, hearing the very words of God. And then the Son of God singling you out for special attention, special instruction. Oh, how awesome that would have been. Oh, what a privilege that those who believed in him that day had. Now let's look now at these three, these aspects of freedom. There will be three. The first, of, first one we will recognize is the requirements to be free indeed. The requirements to be free indeed. Notice verses 31 and 32. The first requirement we see is that we need a real faith in the Son. A real faith in the Son. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, in order for there to be freedom, my friends, there needs to be faith. In order to be free, we must have faith in the Lord Jesus. And that faith must be real. Question. Every time we read in Scripture that somebody believes in Jesus, is that faith always real? Is that belief always real? No, not always. Even a casual reading of the New Testament, we, you see that, that, that many who said they believed in Jesus were not true believers. Do you think that everyone in our day and time, is everyone gathered here today a true follower of Christ? Oh, they may call themselves Christians, but are they genuine? I don't believe so. Do all those whom Jesus was talking to that day have genuine faith? No, look at verse 45 of, uh, in, in chapter 8. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. So even those gathered with Jesus that day did not have a real faith. But you may ask, what do you, be, what do you mean to believe in Jesus Christ? When you can believe everything that Jesus Christ said about himself is true, when you believe that everything Jesus Christ said about you is true, when you believe that the judgment of God is coming upon this world is true, when you believe the love of God that has been given to this world is true, and you take your whole life, your whole life, and you place it into the hands of Jesus Christ, repenting from your sins, responding by faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ for the redemption of your soul. That is what it means to believe. To believe means our salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, by Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. In our day and in this room today, I believe that there are three categories of people. First category we have are the fake believers. Their faith is not real. Those who came, claim to be believers, but in their heart, they are not. We see this illustrated for us in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. We read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Do you see that they claim to believe in Jesus? 
Do you see that they love to see the signs? They love to see the miracles. But their faith was not real. And for that, Jesus had no part of them. Fake believers. A second category we see, uh, we have firecracker believers. Believers, uh, their, their faith is not enduring or lasting. These are the believers who may have gone to the concert or they may have gone to the revival meeting or a certain gospel presentation, walked the aisle, signed the card, raised the hand, made some sort of commitment to Jesus. But after a while, they fall away from the faith. They are like a firecracker. They spring up with all the excitement. Then and they follow Jesus for a while, and then they just fizzle away. They are rocky soil believers. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. A third category we have are true believers. Their faith is enduring. It is lasting. A true believer has faith that saves. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. A true believer has faith born of God. 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. A true believer has the gift of faith from God. Ephesians 2.8, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Each one of us here falls into one of these three categories. You may be a fake believer. You intellectually know about Jesus. You come to church on Sundays. He may be an interesting figure in your, in, in your life, but you have not entrusted him with the salvation of your soul and Lord of your life. In your heart of hearts, you are in rebellion with God. And for that, Jesus has no part with you. You may be a firecracker believer. You believe for a while. Then the cares of this world overcome you or the kitchen gets a little hot and you're out of here. You're out of here. You may be here today and gone tomorrow. Your faith is not real. Or you may be a real believer. You may have genuinely responded to the gospel, repenting from your sins and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with a genuine desire to please Him. Three categories of people. The question is, where do you reside? Paul says that we are to examine ourselves, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. My friends, in order for there to be true freedom from sin, from self, from Satan, there must be a real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is not a real faith in the Savior, the Savior will not make you free. He will not entrust himself to you. Our second requirement we see in our verse is that we have a real appetite for the word. A real appetite for the word. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. A mark of a true believer is one who has a strong appetite for the word of God. 
It is their food. It is where they get their nourishment. It is to them the bread of life. To the true believer, the word of God is a fountain of living water that refreshes the soul and satisfies the thirst. Another mark of a true believer is that they will have a strong appetite to hear and obey the word of God. They will delight in the hearing of the word of God and they will delight to obey the word of God. For the true believer, the word of God is not burdensome. It is joy. It is satisfaction to the soul. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. A third mark of a true believer is that they will have an appetite to know and to understand the word of God. We see that manifested so beautifully in the second chapter of Acts. We read as the, as the, the, the proclamation of the gospel had went forth and 3,000 souls were gloriously saved that day. What does the Bible say? The Bible says they continually devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. These new believers were like sponges soaking up the word of God. Why? Why? They wanted to know, they wanted to know and to understand this Jesus more thoroughly in whom they have entrusted their salvation, in whom they have entrusted their very souls. Let me ask you, Christians, brothers and sisters, how's your appetite for the word of God? How's your appetite for the word of God? Do you love to hear and obey the word? Do you long to know and understand the word? Is it to you nourishment and refreshment for your soul? May I ask, have you ever even taken the time? Have you even ever taken the time to read his word through and through? I heard of a a dear saint, a believer for 50 years, had never read the Bible through and through. Oh, my friend, we must have an appetite for the word of God. Our third requirement we see is in verse, in verse 31 is that we are, we have, uh, we are to have a real pursuit or a real desire for the son. A real pursuit or a real desire for the son. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. The word truly could also mean real. If you have a real faith in the Son, if you have a real appetite for His Word, then you are real disciples of mine. A real disciple is one who is Word-oriented. He is, he is oriented to the Word of God and His life will reflect the Word. A real disciple is one who all the time wants to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning. The word disciple literally means to be a learner. A disciple is nothing but a learner. Oh, what sweet homework. Oh, what sweet homework to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and learn. I love what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine when he said, Take my yoke upon me and what? Learn of me. Learn of me. I tell you, the more I learn of him, the more I love him. 
And the more I love him, the more my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ grows. When you really learn of Jesus, it changes everything about you. The disciples sat at the feet of Jesus and they said, teach us, Lord, teach us. And their very, and their anxious hearts yearned for every word that came from the mouth, from his mouth, and it transformed their lives. Are you a true disciple? Do you love to learn at the feet of Jesus? If your salvation is genuine, my friend, you will continue in the word of Christ, obeying it and learning it. There's no other way to grow. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Grow, grow. That's, that's it. To be a learner, sit at the feet of Jesus, soak it up, take it in. A great illustration of this is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. The Bible says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She, she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Oh, how we need to be more like Mary, who is seated at the Lord's feet, listening and learning from his word. But far too often, aren't we more like Martha? Oh, we, we are wrapped up in the, and distracted with the cares of the world. Lord, may our prayer be to make us more like Mary, to have a heart and a desire to, to, to know you and to understand you. Oh, Lord, give us a heart and a pers- that, that longs to pursue you. So what are the results of the requirements of verse 31? Notice verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You say free from what? Free from the search for truth. Free from the Satan's blinding power. Free from the chains of spiritual death. Free from the prison house of sin. Free from the, from fear and self and people pressure and free from everything. The shackles of ignorance are shattered. The chains of doubt and fear are gone. And we are released to a glorious new liberty. And once you taste that liberty, my friends, it is sweet. It is sweet indeed. So Paul says to the Galatian, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject to a yoke of slavery. The truth has made you free. Hallelujah. That should bring joy and peace to our hearts. Well, then we see these dear Jewish people didn't react so positively, which is par for the course. And we'll notice our second aspect, which is the response. The response found in verse 33 of our text. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus is telling them they need to be free. And you, you know what they are saying? saying? Us? Us? We need to be free? We've always been free. It seems that every time that Jesus confronts them with a need, they respond by building a wall. 
In verse 33, the Jews will put forth three types of responses or walls to the requirements that the Lord has set forth for them in verses 31 and 32. May I say, for in order us to be free indeed, we need to have the exact opposite response to the Lord's requirements. But notice their first response. Their first response is one of self-justification. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. How is it you say you will become free? Don't you understand, Jesus, who we are? We are the children of promise and that we are in the line of Abraham, our father, and that we are already free. These Jews are trying to hold on to this Abrahamic security, this self-justification that they are God's chosen race. But Paul in Romans chapter 2 is so kind in telling them the truth about their self-justification. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The Abrahamic covenant doesn't do anybody any good. Like Paul said, so what does circumcision profit? It doesn't profit anything unless you believe God. If you believe God, it profits But you've got to believe God. Your racial descent from Abraham is only good if you believe in God. It's not any good just because of a racial thing. Nobody gets the blessing of God by being in a certain race. That is eternal blessing. And so they were hanging on to their self-justification for their freedom. They thought because of their Abrahamic identity, they were automatically and permanently free. And so Jesus ran into another stone wall. I'm sure that Jesus gets this response quite often in our day also. Jesus, don't you understand I'm a Baptist? Jesus, don't you understand I'm a Methodist? I'm I'm a a Catholic? I'm Lutheran? Jesus, I'm Reformed. Don't you understand I do not need to be freed? Or or don't you know that that I I am really a good person? And I'm not like all those hypocrites you see in those churches. I'm already free, thank you. How many are relying upon their self-justification to get them into the kingdom of God? Second response we see is one of self-deception. Self-deception. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Have these guys forgotten the history of their people? We have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Maybe they're having a senior moment. Have they forgotten that their whole history had been one of enslavement? They had been slaves in Egypt when Moses came to set them free. For the greater part of their time in the, in, of, of the judges, they had been enslaved. Maybe they had forgotten their captivity by the Assyrians and the exile to Babylon. They had withered under the heel of the Greeks and the Syrians and the Egyptians for centuries until at last the Romans had taken over. Their response to Jesus was one of obvious self-deception. They once again rested in the covenant promise to Abraham, which guaranteed him the lordship of the earth. How could they regard themselves as in bondage? It was a foolish deception. The God of this world had blinded their eyes and darkened their hearts to see their bondage to sin and to self. Oh, this is so sad, so sad. Then we'll notice the third response is one of self-righteousness. When you are under the influence of self-justification, self-deception, you will not see your need to be free. 
you will become self-righteous. In verses 37 and 47, we see that this with the that this was the Jews' problem. And it was a problem that if not properly dealt with, would lead to their destruction and their damnation. Notice their self-righteousness. How is it that you say, how is it that you say you will become free? In a sense, they are saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are telling us that we need to become free? We have Abraham as our father, and we are already free. Who do you think you are, Jesus? We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. We have not been enslaved to anyone. Oh, how their eyes have been blinded and their hearts darkened to the truth of God. They had the righteousness of God staring them right in the face. But they are so filled with pride and arrogance that they could not see it. Verses 42 and 43, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Pride and arrogance had, had closed their ears to the truth. They were blinded and deceived. They thought they had no need whatsoever to be freed from the bondage of sin and self and from Satan. Jesus said in verse 24 of John 8, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Only this, they, they, they say, no thank you, Jesus. No thank you. I got my traditions. I got my church. I've got my good deeds to get me to heaven. I can do this on my own, thank you. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need to be free. The Bible said God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I wonder if you might take some time to evaluate your life and examine your heart. Might there be some things that that, that needs to be brought to the cross of Christ? Are there some things that may need to be repented of? Only the Son can set you free from the bondage of sin. You must believe in the Son of God and abide in His Word. Then you will truly be His disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Only through the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to give His life for sin and rise again, only through the Son can you be set free. This leads to our final aspect we will look at this morning, the rescuer, the rescuer. Notice verses 34 and 36. In these final verses, I would like for us to notice three truths concerning the one who has rescued us and has made us free. The first truth is that the rescuer has changed our spiritual condition. Notice verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Everyone sins. Everyone sins. Therefore, Jesus is saying that everyone is a slave of sin. So as slaves of sin, what is our condition? What is the spiritual spiritual condition of man? Paul writes, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are controlled by the prince of the power of the air. 
of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In a sense, our condition is one of blindness, deadness, and one of bondage to sin. Sin, like a cruel taskmaster, controls every aspect of the unbeliever's life, enslaving that person to various lusts and pleasures and leaving them in the bondage of iniquity. While these Jews thought their religion and their relationship to Abraham united them with God, Jesus pointed out that they had no relationship to God. As slaves of sin and deceived about it, they desperately needed to be set free from their spiritual bondage. And that, my friends, is exactly, that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has changed our spiritual condition. The only way for sinners to be released from sin's grip and penalty is to be united by faith with Jesus Christ, who in His death and His resurrection provides deliverance. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, For we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. When the Son makes you free, you have a new spiritual condition. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. No longer walking in darkness, but now walking in the light of the gospel. The second truth we see is that the rescuer has changed our spiritual position. Notice verse 35. Coming to verse 35, we we see another aspect of slavery. Jesus is giving a warning. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Jesus is saying this, don't you realize that the only body in the household with permanent rights is the son, not the slave? Jesus is saying to them, I want to warn you. You are slaves and slaves have no permanent rights in the house. And when the master is done with you, all he will do is cast you away. All he will do, he will cast you out. Oh, that's a warning. Jesus is giving them a warning. He's saying to those Jews, you are slaves, not sons. And when the economy changes, if you are not a son but a slave, you are going to be cast out. He says to them, this is a death blow to Abrahamic security. You are not sons, you are slaves. The only person who has lasting permanent place in the household is the son, not the slave. You say, well, the trick then is to, uh, the deal is to stop being a, a slave and to start being a son, right? Yes, that's it, you've got it. You say, well, how does that happen? It happens by Christ changing our spiritual position by being adopted into the family of God. Our spiritual position is changed by adoption and by receiving Christ. Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Then in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Then in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh, my friends, these are wonderful truths. Wonderful truths. And I pray that the Spirit of God will take these truths and He will penetrate them into your hearts and bring you great joy and comfort. For those who are in Christ, we have gone from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. We have gone from being a slave with no permanent home to being called heirs of God with an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I would not trade my new spiritual condition or my new spiritual position for anything. For my friends, I've been in bondage. I've been in bondage. I've been enslaved. And my friend, it's not a pleasant place to be. Thank God that Christ has set me free. The peace and the joy, the satisfaction that Christ has brought to my soul is far greater, far greater than anything that Satan or this world can offer. One more truth. One more truth and I want to bring forth is that the rescuer has granted to us spiritual liberation. Spiritual liberation. Verse 36. Oh, this is wonderful, wonderful truth. Notice just a few of the benefits of our spiritual liberation. One, we are no longer children of the devil. We are children of God. We are no longer children of wrath. We are now the children of promise. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We are forgiven and freed from the penalty and the punishment and the guilt and the shame of our sin. We are no longer under the sting of death. We have victory in Christ. Oh, what liberation. Oh, what liberation. Oh, what a rescuer. Oh, what a savior that we have in Jesus Christ. I want you to see this and I want you to get this into your hearts. Verse 36, I want you to get the source of our liberation. It's Jesus. It is Jesus and only Him, only Him alone. If the Son, no one else but Jesus. I want you to see the focus of His liberation. It is you. It is you. If the Son makes you free. Oh, the love of God that has been given to us through His precious Son, Jesus Christ. Then I want you to see the fullness of our liberation. It is complete. You will be free indeed. When Christ sets you free, my friend, is not a partial freedom. It is not a partial freedom. It is, a, it is full and it is complete. We were all blinded and controlled by the God of this world. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. But Christ in His sovereign grace has granted new life. The gospel of Jesus Christ has set us free. We are no longer under the penalty and punishment of sin. We are no longer subject to the pain of our past. Gloria, hallelujah. We are no longer a child of wrath. 
Christ has set us free to a new life in him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We have been liberated to a new life with new desires, with new abilities, with new opportunities, with no restrictions. We have been liberated to a new way of living with no regrets forever, all to the glory of God. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your precious word. And I pray, oh God, that you have taken forth your word today and have planted it deep into the hearts and the souls and the spirits of those who have heard. And I pray, Lord, that you would set some people free this day, free from self, free from sin, free from a jaded past, free from the power of Satan. Oh God, set some souls free for your glory and for your praises. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.